What is social confidence? That's what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. Welcome back to Brojo Online. We're going to look at what is possibly the most important elements to a healthy and enjoyable life. I'll justify this later in the podcast, but my claim basically is that social confidence is the number one thing you should be focused on in life and that all the things you really want out of life will stem from that. Think of it like the tip of the spear. Everything you want out of life is going to follow from social confidence. And not unsurprisingly, given my biases, when I look out into the world and observe human psychology, social confidence is the biggest problem I see, or should I say the lack of social confidence is the biggest problem I see. It's evidenced by how dishonest people are, how much depression and mental illness there is, uh, the social media validation begging that every second person is doing, and the dismal dating experiences that most people have. There's a lot of evidence out there that people are not doing well socially, not as well as they could be. And I believe that their confidence in the social setting is the main problem. I think most people are either faking confidence or not even able to fake it. And so they're either pretending to be someone they're not and therefore only having detached superficial connections, or they can't even pretend and so they're isolated, lonely, seen as the weird person, whatever. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about what social confidence is, why it matters so much, and how to build it no matter who you are. Let's have a look at defining what it means to have social confidence. And what I want to do today is not only define it, but give you a scale so that you can measure how much of it you have or how much of it anyone has. The reason I want to do a whole piece just on the definition of social confidence is because I think defining it incorrectly is a huge part of the problem when it comes to social issues. See, appearing to be confident is not confidence. In fact, it's really quite the opposite especially if you're deliberately trying to appear to be confident, you're trying to manage other people's impression of you, or that need to appear to be confident is motivated by fear and childhood trauma and shame and so on. Ironically, a person who's truly confident doesn't put any effort into trying to convince you that he is. And I think people confuse confidence with competence. People think confidence is about skills. It's about mastery because you often feel more confident the more skilled you are. But they're actually two separate domains. You can be very confident while being very low skilled. You can be very highly skilled and still suffer from imposter syndrome and feel like you're a total fraud. Confidence isn't necessarily attached to skill. And while skill building does help, and I wouldn't ever deny that it's helpful, it's not necessary. Or more specific to the theme of this particular talk, Social confidence does not require you to be socially skilled. You will become socially skilled as you're more socially confident. That is a natural byproduct. But you can still be confident without actually having great communication skills or a lot of friends or even being socially adept in any way. Being good at manipulating people into liking you doesn't mean that you're confident. It usually means the exact opposite of that. It usually means that you're fragile or you're narcissistic or you're a nice guy, people pleaser. And these are all signs of sort of trauma-based personality defects. I think the best definition, the working definition that you can use in real life is that social confidence is the ability to push yourself to engage with people socially in a way that will benefit you in the long term without compromising your integrity. It's essentially a 
practice of bravery in a social setting. So you don't necessarily need to do well by anybody's standards when it comes to the external trappings and rewards of socializing. It's about how much discomfort you're willing to put yourself through and how much integrity you're going to maintain while putting yourself through that discomfort. If you can do that a lot or to a high intensity, you are very socially confident, regardless of your current social status. Right? There are famous people out there who are the, have the highest social status you could possibly imagine, and yet they never get out of their comfort zone, and they're terrified of being rejected and so on. So they're not actually socially confident. They're just socially abundant, which is not the same thing. So social confidence is a combination of both mindset and behavior. So how you think and feel and believe and what you do. But really, it's mostly about what you do. See, ultimately, who you really are, what you are being, is an action. Being is, you know, it's a verb. You can think you're confident without actually being it. And you can be confident without feeling sure of yourself. And I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. I'm not talking about pretending to be someone you're not. But I'm talking about boldly engaging in behaviors that make you uncomfortable, regardless of thoughts and feelings. That's confidence. And I really do believe, and I've seen this evidence with my coaching clients and in my own life, that if you behave with confidence for a long enough time, you will also get external rewards. You'll get deeper, meaningful connections. You'll have people that love you. You'll find communication gets easier and easier and you become more skilled. But those don't need to come first. They come second. They're the reward for being confident. They're not the prerequisite for confidence. So I've recently designed a little model that I call the five I's, as in the letter I in the alphabet. Initiate, introduce, interest, invitation, and intimacy. Okay, think of those as a grading scale that you build up your confidence within. They're all behavioral traits. And the more you practice them and the higher levels that you practice, the more confident you are, whether you feel it or not. So the courage to initiate, that is to initiate interactions with people to make the first move, that's step one. Uh, introducing yourself, so breaking the barrier from stranger to known, that's step two. Showing interest and escalating the connection between the two of you, that's step three. Inviting people into your life, going from where you met them to somewhere else, that's step four. And then increasing intimacy, becoming more vulnerable and honest and revealing more truths about each other. That's ultimately step five, and that is a continuous, endless process. You can keep being more intimate with people until the end of your life. So because I've gotten into the trend of jujitsu lately, I've given it a scale like belts, okay, just like a martial arts. And this is where you can kind of figure out where you're at and where you need to go. And some of you might be socially abundant. You have lots of friends and stuff, but you're still a white belt. And others of you might feel that you don't have many close connections, but when you look at what you're able to do socially, you're actually quite confident. So let's have a look at where you're at in the scale. White belt, you don't yet initiate. All right, you don't start things. Things have to come to you, if anything. So if you're a white belt, what you need to focus on doing is getting out into the social world, surrounding yourself with opportunities, and trying your best to just begin interactions. It can be as small as making eye contact, through to saying hi to someone, breaking that barrier between interacting and not interacting with somebody. Next is blue belt. Now you're someone who can initiate, but it doesn't really go much further than that. So your next focus is to start introducing yourself, to start making sure that you know each other's names and you know a little bit about each other. 
There's a classic line that you can use that is always true, so you're never compromising your integrity, even though it's a script. And that is to say something like, I don't think I've met you yet. Hi, my name is Dan. It's a really easy line to remember, and it's always true if this is a new person. So it's a great way to start introducing yourself, and you can use it anywhere. Gas station, dance class, the gym, it always works. So next is Purple Belt. So you can initiate and introduce, but it's rare for you to express your feelings to someone about them. So now you're going to start showing people how you feel about them. Just telling people if you like them, if you like something about them, if there's anything about them that you appreciate or noticed. Start letting them show that you've actually been affected by them and that you have feelings about them. Next is Brown Belt. Means you're now quite comfortable letting people know how you feel about them, but you're kind of stuck with meeting them where you met them. Say you met them at a dance class, you only ever see them at the dance class. You've both established that you like each other. So now it's time to start bringing people into your life, inviting them to things that you're doing outside of where you met them and creating a bridge where now they're not just the person you're in a dance class with, now they're your friend. You've gone to coffee together, you went to the beach together, went on a hike together, they're now part of your life. Finally, we've got Black Belt, which is a never-ending journey. So you regularly bring new connections into your life whenever you see fit, and you escalate that quickly to them joining you in your life, and you know how you feel about each other. And now you're going to just turn up the intimacy. You're going to become more polarizing, more honest, more vulnerable. You're going to start setting boundaries with each other, and you're going to create a deep and meaningful connection. So using the scale, you can figure out where you're at currently. You can sort of have a look at what you're most likely to do in a social situation. And rather than looking at how many friends you have or how many people like you, which might not reflect how confident you are, have a look at where you're at in terms of your boldness in social situations and work on the step where you're at with an eye to the next step. And just basically de-escalating your fears as you practice. Of course, I know this kind of work is pretty scary. I've done a lot of it myself, and frankly, it was hard. I help people with this kind of work. So if you want to be able to make progress quickly and learn lots of sort of tricks and techniques for overcoming your fears and building your communication skills, get in touch, dan at brojo.org, and we can talk about coaching. Why is social confidence important? I have a young daughter, and if I could only have one wish for her. There's only one thing I was allowed to give her as a gift. It would be social confidence. It would be to be socially adept. Because I know that there is nothing better that she could be good at than socializing. That everything else that she might want out of life will be enhanced or achieved through her ability to confidently socialize. I've studied success for decades, and I mean the science of success, from case studies of very successful people and digging through the whole history, through to more broader and generic studies of successful people. And I don't just mean successful financially, I mean inner success as well, people who are confident, who love themselves, who would say that they have had a great life, as well as the people that have all the external trappings like a great job or a great physique or so on. And I've tried to deconstruct it. What is it they do differently to the others? What separates them? And one thing that keeps coming up in all of my research is social confidence. Their ability to form high value connections with other people. That is almost a guarantee for success. Whether that's the inner success of just loving yourself and having a great life. Or the outer success of having a fantastic career. 
all of it is significantly enhanced by your ability to socialize. And if you lack that ability, then you're dragging this huge weight. It's a massive uphill battle to succeed either internally or externally. So this is why I make such a big deal about it. And I'm not trying to discourage any of you who might feel like you lack social skills or you're really lacking confidence socially and you think, oh, well, then all hope is doomed for me. I mean, some of my clients are quite strongly on the autistic spectrum. Everybody their whole life has told them that they cannot socialize well. And I've proven it wrong. With my work with them, they have learned how to do it. They have learned not only how to be socially confident, but how to be socially skilled. So there's very few of you listening to this that are completely incapable of improving your social confidence. All right. If you can understand what I'm saying in this podcast, then you have at least enough intelligence to understand what you'll need to do to become socially confident. So when I say that this is the most important thing for somebody to work on, that's based on the research. And the optimistic upside to that is it's really available to almost everyone in terms of a thing that you can grow and develop yourself. Look, humans are a social species, aren't we? So being socially confident is, of course, going to be a generally valuable trait to have. Not to impress others. That's a kind of shortcut, cheap, fake way of doing it. But in order to have a good life, to enjoy who you are as a person. Let's take the most obvious, or one of the most obvious, the career. Right? Your job, your vocation. There's an old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. As somebody who's had, I think, 14 different roles in my career from a wide range of spaces, and I'm somebody who escalated quickly in the Department of Corrections for a young person, I kind of went up the ladder very quickly. I'll tell you, this is just true, that somebody who's a really hard worker and really skilled and really diligent and reliable is going to lose out to somebody who's got better connections in the company. That's not necessarily a good thing, but it is a true thing. You think of the key things that make someone really employable or make someone really likely to be successful in entrepreneurship, you're looking at social things. You're looking at relationship building. You're looking at sales and marketing skills, so psychology. You're looking at leadership qualities. You're looking at negotiation skills. Somebody who's really strong in all of these is going to go so much further than anybody else, no matter what their expertise is, if they don't have those skills. You could be the smartest scientist in the world, but the dumb scientist in your lab who's really good at connecting with people and building relationships is going to do better in their career than you are, probably. So you imagine if you're also hardworking and skilled and reliable and conscientious, as well as being socially confident, the world's your oyster. Another reason social confidence is so important is you're very likely to procure mentors and coaches and teachers naturally. When you're somebody that is bold socially, goes for what they want, understands that we're a social species that's interdependent, you're very likely to be taken under the wing of people who are better at things than you are. There's something appealing to confident, successful people about seeing a young version of themselves that gets them excited and they want to nurture that and grow it as a way of sort of validating their own success. And it is such a massive advantage to be somebody who is attractive to mentorship. Again, any area of life you're looking at, you want to become more socially skilled. Do you want to become healthier? You want to do well in your career. If you've got someone who knows how to do it, take you under their wing, 
and help you accelerate and shortcut the process, then that's most of your work done for you. And somebody who's socially confident will be more likely to find and and procure mentors and coaches and so on than somebody who's shy or difficult to talk to. Creating a network of mutually supportive people. There's an old African proverb that I love, you can go fast alone or go far together. Generally, people who are independent and don't work with others do move very quickly because they don't have to consult with anyone and they're not held back by the herd, but they do hit barriers and ceilings very quickly because they only know what they know and they can only do, do what they do alone. Whereas somebody who is able to harness the power of a tribe, of a community, where everyone supports each other, you can go anywhere that anyone else in the group has gone to, right? Because you can tap into that knowledge base and that wisdom and learn from them. And of course, you can support others as well, which is very rewarding in and of itself, but also builds great connections. And so the community just gets stronger and stronger. People in a community are far more likely to do better in whatever it is they want to do better at than the lone wolf who's only got the one mind working on the problem. Now, there's a famous study done by University of Harvard, the Longitudinal Happiness Study, I believe it's called, where for 70 years they studied thousands of people to see who ends up with the highest quality of life and why. Now, you can look up the study yourself, so I don't need to go into the details of it, but they essentially came to one clear conclusion. People with deep and intimate connections with others were the happiest. Now, there are some exceptions. There are some people who prefer to be alone and they genuinely mean it. It's not just some trauma coping mechanism. But for the most part, if you're a normal human being, which you probably are, the best thing you can do with your life is create great connections with other people. There's pretty much nothing else that's going to satisfy you more and ensure that your final days on this planet are enjoyable. Loneliness is a killer. Those of you who are lonely know what I'm talking about. I've been lonely. It's a horrible place to be if you don't want to be there. You can feel the stress. You can feel how it hurts your health. My early 20s, I mean, I really looked unhealthy as a result, I believe, of loneliness, of feeling like I wasn't really connected to anyone, even though I had lots of so-called friends and socialized with people a lot. It was like I'm an alien floating around in the humans pretending to be one of them. It was a horrible feeling. And now I don't have a huge circle of people who I call friends. I only have a few, but I feel peaceful with it. I feel like I can just be myself around them, that they know who I am, that it's unconditional love. And I can see how good that is for me. I can see that if I'm on my deathbed when I'm 70 and I can see nobody's going to remember my work like this shit and, and nobody reads my books or anything and I'm just going to be another person who died, another statistic. But if I'm holding the hands of my loved ones in that moment, and I look back at all the quality time I spent with my daughter and my wife and my few friends, my family, that's enough. It really is enough. I'm really quite satisfied with that picture in my head. Like I've already finished life. I've already clocked it. And I suspect that this is the case for most humans. I think we're biologically wired for this. And so what else is there more important to focus on? than building social confidence and creating connections with people. What's going to bring you more rewards than that, internally and externally? There's another hidden benefit that a lot of people don't think of, and that is that socializing is a mirror. The more we interact with people and dive deep with them, the more we practically learn psychology. You can read all the books in the world. I know I have. 
But when it comes to learning about human psychology, it's really done on a one-to-one case-by-case basis. That's where you get the real information. And when I say mirror, is the more you learn about other people, the more you learn about yourself. You start to see what common human traits exist and what people tend to do in certain situations. And then you start to see yourself in other people. And I think the only thing that might possibly be more satisfying than having great connections is to know yourself truly, to have explored what you are before you die and to know it to the depths, to the core. And other people are your mirror. They will give you that feedback, whether they mean to or not. And it is the most satisfying and helpful information you'll ever receive. So my advice, take it or leave it, is once you have your basic needs sorted, shelter, food, steady income, Make socializing number one priority. That doesn't mean you get all needy for people. It just means that if you've got an option of doing something, think, what's the most social way I can do this? And when you're around people, think, what's the next thing I can do to enhance my social confidence? What's a move I can make that's bold? And keep doing that until you see the matrix and you go, okay, I know how to make friends and loving connections with people now without being fake and I can do this anytime I like. I can see the code and I know what to do. And then you're basically set for life and everything else is just kind of icing on the cake. Now, I know I've made it sound super simple because it actually is, but when you're in the thick of it, it doesn't feel that way. I know that. I spend a lot of time being socially unconfident. But if you want help to develop the skills and the inner mindset needed to be confident, get in touch, dan at brojo.org, and we'll talk about coaching. Is social anxiety the same thing as a lack of confidence? Can a confident person have anxiety or be socially anxious? Let's answer that question now. I think a lot of people think of anxiety as being synonymous with low self-confidence. That anxiety is like a symptom of not being confident in yourself, and they assume that confident people simply don't experience that emotion. And if that's you, I just want you to notice that belief right now. Notice how it sounds that confident people never get nervous, never get anxious. Are you sure about that? Many emotions that we deem as negative, we also associate with some sort of confidence problem. We think if we lose our shit and get angry, we have a confidence problem. We think if the movie made us cry, that we're not strong enough. We think if we're nervous or depressed or confused, that we're lacking something. There's something wrong with us, and it's got something to do with our confidence. But what if that's not true at all? Do you really believe that confidence is nonstop happiness? That social confidence is nonstop love and connection with people? Do you actually believe that? Why? Where's the evidence for that? Confidence is not nonstop happiness. I have studied very confident people for a very long time. And not one of them has failed to display the entire range of human emotions. Not one. They all feel everything. Confidence isn't a feeling. It isn't that, yeah, I'm doing well feeling. That might be happiness, a nice emotion to experience now and again. But you'll find it so much more helpful to think of confidence as a way of being, a consistent way of being. It's it's in your behavior and your actions where confidence is measured, not in how you feel. Socially confident people still feel anxiety. They feel all the emotions. They might not feel them to the intensity and the degree that certain low self-confidence people feel them. They might not escalate them and compound them with miserable self-image. But the initial, normal, natural human emotion 
They certainly feel those. They just react to emotions differently. See, a low self-confidence person will react to certain emotions with shame and misery, and they'll compound them. They'll feel nervous, and then they'll feel angry that they got nervous, and then they'll feel embarrassed that they got angry about being nervous. And what uh, Dr. Russ Harris talks about, this kind of stacking of emotions where one emotion reacts to another emotion. Whereas confident people just have the single emotion because they got no problem with it. They don't have an emotion about the emotion. They just have that emotion. And so they have a quite different experience emotionally than other people do. See, what you think of as social anxiety is really just normal anxiety compounded by shame and confidence problems. Normal anxiety is fine. It's a little bit of a buzzing in your stomach, a heightened sense of awareness. It can actually be a kind of thrilling experience, like the thrill of walking out on stage before your band plays to a massive audience. I mean, that's a good feeling. I'd rather have that than happiness most of the time. But if you're ashamed of being anxious, then that's going to become a nightmare for you. So one way to think of confidence, social confidence, is really shamelessness. They don't think there's anything wrong with how they feel. They are totally at peace with whatever emotion arises. They don't have a hierarchy, happiness at the top and anxiety at the bottom. They're all equal members of the committee. Every emotion counts. Every emotion is helpful. That's their perspective. And so when they have an emotion, their response to it is so different to someone who's struggling. If you're ashamed of anxiety, and if you call it social anxiety, you probably are ashamed of it. You'll either fake it, which is you'll pretend to feel the opposite. You know, you'll pretend to be really confident when you're dying inside kind of thing. Uh, You'll hide it. So you'll just merge into the background, not let anyone see that it's happening. Hope that you don't get caught. Or you'll apologize for it. Like you'll let it be known that you're feeling this way, but in a really shameful way, like you've done something wrong. Or you might suppress it. You just get drunk or whatever to try and, you know, drown the feeling. And of course, these approaches to having anxiety lead to disastrous results, socially speaking. You know, if you're faking it, you'll only have superficial connections and you'll feel alone even when you're surrounded by friends. If you're hiding it, then you're not really interacting with people and you can't get intimate with them. So you'll just have no connections or none of any value. And of course, if you apologize and you're shameful about it, then you'll provoke either pity or scorn from other people. So they'll look down on you, whether it's with compassion or not, they're still looking down on you. And of course, if you suppress it with alcohol and drugs and so on, then you really don't have any social experience. It just doesn't count. It's like you weren't even there. My biggest ever social revelation was that confident people do have these emotions. They're just shameless about it. And they can just say it without any sense of apology. And it actually becomes really endearing. My first ever experience of this, which I wasn't mature enough to understand at the time, was I was at a party. There was a girl who I actually uh, had a crush on at the time. And her boyfriend was making a speech for her birthday. And his speech was just one line. I remember it perfectly, word for word. You still make me nervous. Every girl in the whole party swooned when he said that. And I was just jaw to the floor. What? How can you reveal that you're nervous and everyone likes you even more? That thought had never occurred to me in my life that that was possible. I thought nervousness must be hidden, along with other things like confusion and lust and anger. I thought it was an emotion that if it gets revealed you have it, you're out. You might as well move to another town. Everyone's going to dismiss you. The idea that it could actually be your strength, that people would like you more because of it, 
I just couldn't wrap my immature little brain around that fact that was clearly in front of me. This guy had the girlfriend that I wanted and every other person in there probably wanted him as well. And he wasn't a particularly amazing guy, but the way he said things like this sparked a little seed in my brain of understanding like, okay, there's something here that's happening that I don't do. And if I knew what it was, things would change for me. Own it rather than hide it. That is the secret. Once I discovered that secret, my social life changed dramatically. My struggles with women went away completely. My inability to trust whether or not my friends were real, solved. Previous beefs I'd had with certain family members, resolved. Right? This was the key. I had to reveal what I feel, even if it's anxiety, as if it's totally fine. And in doing so, I made it fine. It was talking about it like it's okay that made it okay. I once stopped a girl on the street and told her that, you know, I thought she was gorgeous and I wanted to say hi. And she was a little suspicious because she couldn't believe that I was this confident. That's how she put it. So like, what's up with this? Because I'd been, you know, practicing this kind of socializing for a while and I was pretty comfortable with it, at least uh, bold enough to do it. And she just couldn't get her head around it. She'd never seen this done before. She thought maybe it must be a scam or something. She's like, mm, you're too cool and confident. Something's up. I said, no, I'm not. And I took her hand and I put it on my chest so she could feel that my heart was pounding. I was nervous. Nervous as shit. I was just so used to being nervous and doing it anyway at this point that kind of didn't occur to me that I might not appear to be nervous. There's a bias called the spotlight effect, I think it is which is you think you're so much more obvious than you actually are. And you think that all your thoughts and feelings are right there, there on the surface when actually you've got a poker face. And I was experiencing that. I thought it was obvious that I was nervous, but to other people, it really wasn't. And when I put her hand and she could feel it, this undeniable evidence that I'm having strong feelings, nervous feelings, she melted like a candle. I've never seen anything quite like it. She was so stoked that she had had that effect on me. And so amazed by the contrast between my behavior and my feelings that I could behave confidently while feeling nervous. That in itself became the conversation we had, this idea that you can be nervous and confident. She had never considered that before. Now, it's not like she's still in my life or anything, but that was just such an amazing experience for us to have together. And all I did was own my nervousness. I put it out for everyone to see. And it was her favorite bit. Social anxiety is just anxiety in a social setting. We don't need to give it an extra name and make it sound like it's some other thing. It's just being ashamed of being anxious when you're around other people. That's it. We all get anxious around other people. We should be, to some extent. If they're strangers or it's a new environment, it makes sense to be on edge a little bit. Other people are the biggest threat to people that there is. I mean, we're humans. We're top of the food chain. The most likely thing to harm you is another human being. Anxious is fine. Anxious is sensible. If you walked around thinking, yeah, everybody's fine all the time, you're going to get hurt. So why you'd think it'd be wrong to be anxious in a new environment, especially if you have other things that contribute, like if you have mental illness or you're more introverted, there's certain things where you're more likely to be anxious. Well, that just makes sense. Why would that be considered wrong and shameful? Anybody who gives you shit about being anxious is a horrible person that you shouldn't have in your life anyway. So it's a great qualifier. If you're like, oh man, I'm so nervous right now. And they're like, huh, loser. You can just be like, okay, that's not going to be my next friend. That's simple. Don't need to waste time there. 
Stop telling yourself that you're afraid of other people because it's not quite true. You're just ashamed of anxiety. And if you weren't, other people wouldn't intimidate you so much. You're worried about their response to your anxiety, not about actually their threat in a general sense. You can practice this by doing what I call showing up without pressure. So if you want to build your social skills and your social confidence, but you want to do it without feeling pressure and feeling like it's a big chore, just give yourself the minimal possible push, which is show up, right? Whatever the event is, let's say that you've been invited to a party, at least get to the party. You don't have to stay very long. You're allowed to leave whenever you like, but don't stay home. Just at least arrive at the party. And then if you can, try to initiate a conversation with at least one person. Just say hi, introduce yourself maybe. But no pressure to go any further with that. If the conversation naturally keeps going and you feel comfortable to keep doing it, then you do. But if it doesn't, that's fine. You don't have to force this to any sort of destination. And then basically you just stay at the party as long as you want to and you leave as soon as you don't want to be there anymore or you anticipate that it's getting uncomfortable. If you do nothing but that, it's essentially a form of exposure therapy. The more often you do this, frequently, without pressure, the less scary social situations will seem. And then you'll be able to see that, hey, even if I do have anxiety, it's fine. Nothing bad happens to me. So maybe I can talk about it. And if you are going to tell people that you're feeling anxious, and I hope that you do, Use the same vibe as you might talk about what the weather is outside today or what you ate for breakfast. Like it's the most normal, okay thing to talk about ever. Like it's almost mundane. Like it's not a big deal. Now, it might feel a little bit forced, even fake perhaps, to talk about it like that. What you're trying to do is you're resetting your belief system to acknowledge the truth that anxiety is a normal human emotion. So we're actually being truthful, even if it feels wrong. So if you were to be truthful about anxiety, you wouldn't attach shame to it. You wouldn't say, I'm a bad person for having anxiety. No, you're a human being for having anxiety. The only people that don't really have anxiety are psychopaths. And everybody else who doesn't appear to have anxiety is pretending. I promise you that. I've studied thousands of people. They're pretending. Don't worry about it. They've all got it too. And the good fit connection with you will say, me too, or I understand. And the bad fit connection will dismiss you, reject you, or be mean about it. But think of the difference between like, oh my God, I'm so nervous to be here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I'm such a loser. That's one way of saying it. Or you can say like, damn, so many people here. It makes me anxious. So what have you got on? Right? It can be said in those two different ways and you will get vastly different responses. Now, if you want to accelerate your progress and become really shameless without ever feeling like you're stepping off a cliff and doing something terrifying, get in touch, dan at brojo.org and I'll help coach you through the process. Let's talk about social confidence specifically for introverts. I'm going to do a special mention for introverts for a particular reason, and that is extroverts can still have confidence issues, but it generally leads them to do things that actually create social abundance, like showing off or performing really highly, impressing people with their skills. So even if they don't have particularly high quality or meaningful connections, they can still surround themselves with people even if they're really low confidence. Whereas introverts tend to struggle a lot socially if they also have confidence issues. I mean, I'm an extrovert and I had a lot of confidence issues when I was younger, but I was surrounded by people. Now, they weren't real connections. I was pretending to be something I wasn't, but I was a natural show off and naturally bold from being extroverted perhaps. Whereas the introverts that I work with as coaching clients and that I know personally, if they're also struggling with self-confidence, 
they tend to really do poorly socially. And I've narrowed it down to what I think the main issue is. And that is people confuse being introverted with being shy or socially reclusive. They are not the same thing. Now, there's been some updates to the term since I was in university, but an introvert is a personality type. It's a trait, really. Okay, it's got a lot of positives and kind of struggles, the same as being an extrovert. But being shy and being introverted are not the same thing. If you're introverted and you have confidence problems, then you may be shy. But if you're introverted with high self-confidence, you won't be shy. Shy is not part of the package. It is an extra thing, a symptom, if you will. You think of traits that a lot of people think of as introvert traits, something like apologizing for everything all the time, especially yourself, uh, not standing up for yourself and letting people dominate you or allowing people to interrupt you in conversations. A lot of people think that's introversion. That's not introversion. Okay, that's low self-confidence. That's poor social skills. All right, those are behavioral issues and confidence issues, not personality trait issues. What I see too often, especially in my clients, is once people find out the word introvert and that label, they become attached to it. As we all do as humans, once we find an identity, we tend to cling to it, even if it's unhelpful. So people go, I'm an introvert, and it becomes like their excuse for being avoidant and antisocial and allowing their shy fears to dominate them completely. And they go, well, I can't help it. I'm an introvert. So I know you have social confidence problems and behavioral technique issues that you could solve. You can't solve being an introvert. You don't need to. It's not a problem. But don't blame your personality for your trauma wounds and your you know, difficulties with skill sets. Those are things that can be fixed and should be. You know, if you feel that you hate people or that you're scared of them, but you also feel lonely and you would really want love if it was possible and easy to do, then it's not an introvert problem, it's a shyness problem. And shyness is solvable. Mahatma Gandhi, Barack Obama, the actor Emma Watson, they're all identified as introverts. Are they shy? Are they struggling socially? No, they're doing pretty well, aren't they? But about as well as you can do in terms of social success. So what are they doing differently to the other introverts? The key, as I always say, is shamelessness. Rather than apologizing for being an introvert and trying to sort of either overcome your traits by being something you're not or withdrawing so that other people don't dominate you or aren't affected by your weaknesses, own it. Be an introvert the best you can and make other people cater to it. Don't adjust for other people. Make them adjust for you. Being introverted doesn't mean that you can't speak with loud volume, right? That's not part of introversion. It doesn't mean that you can't demand respect from people and set boundaries. It doesn't mean that you can't stop people from interrupting you, slow them down when they're oversharing and not giving you a chance. These are all behaviors that are available to you no matter what your personality type is. Once you start thinking about a basic script that you can start with, it's kind of like training wheels. It might be something like, hold on a second, I'm an introvert, so I need time to think. So just slow down and pause so that I can respond to you. This kind of sentence is a shameless expression of introversion. You're saying, yeah, I'm introverted, but that's fine. You're going to have to work with it. Be the same as if I'm tall, you have to look up to look into my eyes. I'm not going to stoop down for you. Being tall is not a bad thing. It's just a thing. But if you want to work with me, you have to look up because I'm up here, right? Well, if I'm an introvert, it means you have to slow down. You have to say one point at a time so that I can digest it. 
You have to be okay with wanting to meet in a one-to-one quietish place. You have to be okay with me saying, look, I've had enough socializing for today. I need to go and unwind and not take that personally. You're the one that has to adjust to me if I'm extroverted or introverted, not the other way around. Because introvert and extrovert is not a problem. So I'm extroverted, maybe ambivert if you want to get technical. But I can work with anybody, extroverted or introverted, and I will adjust to make sure that our ability to communicate is up there. But of course, extrovert and introvert is not the same thing, quite the opposite in some areas. So there's some things that you can focus on and accept that will make socializing easier for you. Keeping things one-to-one. Generally, you're not going to enjoy or do well in a group when you're introverted. Not because you can't, but just it's not your preference. You'd rather intensely focus and go deep with someone than spread yourself thin in a superficial way. So one of the downsides to being an extrovert, and I can tell you from experience, is that groups don't actually provide any real intimacy. You can add shared pleasure, shared experiences that make fun memories. But in terms of like, where's that person you need when you're feeling depressed? That's not going to come from the group. The group doesn't want part of that, unless you're talking about like a support group, which is really more of an introverted environment anyway. One person speaking at a time, everyone listening intently, taking your time. You know, going to a loud rave with all your mates making heaps of noise. You don't walk away feeling more connected after that unless you're taking ecstasy, which I've never done. So you have the advantage. One-to-one intimate connections are actually your strength, and they're what's going to give you a high quality of life. So rather than thinking like, oh, I should have more friends like all the extroverts do, just think about like, let's go deep with the few friendships I have. Let's go deep with my partner and my child if no one else. That's fine. Because in the end, that's what's going to satisfy you, not having a large number of friends who wouldn't be there to pick you up from the airport if you needed it. But in terms of overcoming shyness without compromising or lacking integrity when it comes to being an introvert, focus on taking up space. That means risking rejection and negative reactions by saying your piece, sitting where you want to sit, eating the last piece of pizza, kind of taking up your entitled space as a living being on this planet. It means speaking with the volume that's needed so that other people can hear you. Right? It means putting your hand up and disagreeing at the team meeting when you feel that you disagree, even if it took you a long time to come to that thought. Taking up space is how you battle shyness. You don't need to battle being an introvert. It's fine. Stay an introvert. You don't have a choice anyway. And really important that you measure quality over quantity. Just because you don't have as many friends as the other extroverts do you're not as popular as they are. That's not a measurement that actually matters for the kind of life you want to have and for feeling good about yourself as a person. But if you measure wrong, you can actually ruin everything. You might have already some great one-to-one connections. And if you just appreciated them and realized that that is the end goal here, that when it comes to social confidence and socializing, what you want is strong one-to-one connections to emerge from that then you might already be socially successful. But if you're like, oh, I don't have enough friends because everybody else has heaps, then you're actually going to undermine what you've achieved. Sometimes being lonely is about a measurement problem. You think the numbers aren't high enough when actually you've got more than enough depth of connection to be satisfied socially. Of course, if you're an introvert who struggles with socializing and you want to learn from someone who's on the other side of the fence, get in touch, dan at brojo.org, and I'll help you build your skills. How do you build social confidence? How do you boost your confidence? Let's talk about that. 
We're going to look at now at some general practices that improve social confidence. So this isn't specific to any personality type or any particular struggle. It's more the general things that I believe from working in this space as a coach for more than a decade now work for everybody. To anybody, no matter what your problem is, if you apply what we talk about in this video, you're going to see improvements in your social confidence. Key thing to remember, social confidence is not about being liked by other people being seen as impressive or being popular. That kind of stuff is just comes from neediness and shame and trauma. If you're pursuing those goals, it's not coming from a healthy place. Ultimately, social confidence, ironically, is really about your relationship with yourself, which will create an abundance of deep relationships with other people. If you're solid with who you are, it's very easy to connect. It's very easy to get intimate. And you're no longer needy for it, so you don't push it away in terms of opportunities. Social confidence is really focusing on being bold and shameless, impressing yourself to build that inner relationship. If you imagine the duality of a person where there's the one you are being and the one watching, and you think of a kind of like maybe a father-son relationship or mother-daughter, think about those two people getting along well, them liking each other. That's what we want. That's social confidence. When you can go into a room and even if everybody hates you, you're cool with you as you are. And you're like, eh, judge me if you want. I mean, that's social confidence. You don't need everyone in the room to like you to be socially confident. In fact, if everybody likes you all the time, you're probably faking it. In fact, fuck that. You're definitely faking it. So focus on building yourself rather than your social circle. Your social circle will naturally build as you work on yourself in social settings. A lot of people look at socializing as kind of like either hunting or hiding. You're either going out there to get something or you're out there, but trying to avoid getting hurt. Better way to look at it is training. You're going there to work on yourself in an environment that provides you what you can't do on your own. Other people's interactions, their feedback, their reactions, managing their behavior in certain situations. You can't fake that stuff. You've got to go out and do it in the real world. But it's like a gym. This is your equipment that you train on to get stronger. I don't mean objectifying people exactly. I just mean if you go home alone, that's fine. right? You don't take the equipment home from the gym with you, do you? Do you? So in this video, we're going to talk about using the five eyes, the little system that I've developed to build your confidence in a strategic way without compromising your integrity. And what you're going to be measuring is your boldness in terms of behavior rather than like your feelings of competence or confidence. It doesn't matter if you don't feel confident while you're doing this stuff. It matters that you're doing this stuff. That's a key element here. So the five eyes are initiate, introduce, show interest, Invite into your life and build intimacy. Yes, I remembered them all. So initiating interaction, starting something, then introducing yourself, breaking the stranger barrier, then showing some interest in them so they know that you have feelings towards them, then inviting them into your life so that a friendship of some kind develops, and then, of course, increasing the intimacy, being more honest and transparent with each other. That's the kind of scale that you're going to work on. It doesn't matter how you feel or what you think as long as you're constantly pushing your behavior to boldly move up that scale. If you're worried that you should be feeling confident, keep this in mind. Imagine these two people. You've got one who feels really nervous and awkward, and yet they go up and they ask out this girl on a date. Is that confident or not? Compared to the person who feels really confident, but they stay home alone, avoiding people. It should be obvious that confidence is really about your behavior. Now, if you're the person who feels real bold and brave and doesn't feel any sort of fear and ask the person out, well, that's nice to have, isn't it? But it's the same behavior as the person who felt nervous and awkward. And actually, the person who felt nervous and awkward gets extra points because it's harder for them. So really, 
confidence is about uncomfortable behavior. So you just start small and you move up incrementally. It's exposure therapy. You don't do anything that's too terrifying. You don't compare yourself to others and try to catch up to them. You just do your own work. You imagine you get to the gym and everyone else there is buff and you've got like a flabby dad bod and they're all lifting huge weights and you're just doing push-ups. That's fine because you're on push-ups right now and you're not going to go so hard you injure yourself or run away from the gym because you're not as good as the others. You're just going to do your own little workout and slowly escalate over time. Fuck what everybody thinks. And that's the same approach to build yourself socially. I'll give you some examples of increments starting from low going up to high stakes so that you can kind of figure out where you are on the scale already, start there, and then use the examples to move yourself up as you get bold enough. Basically, whatever step you're at, stay there until it's comfortable and then move on to the next step and just keep doing that for the rest of your life. So right down the bottom, we might have just making eye contact or smiling at people, right? No conversation. You just walk past them, just look them in the eyes. Some of you, that's the first step because you're so socially anxious and so on. Next might be initiating conversations with really safe people, like members of your family or people who work at a shop, whereas you start the conversation rather than them doing it. And that's the only little shift you're making. So you'd normally talk to these people anyway, but you'd wait for them to initiate. You say hi first, you look them in the eye, so on. You get things started. Next might be what I call non-transactional conversations. And this often happens when you're buying stuff. So you're at the supermarket or the clothing store or the gas station, and there'll be the minimal amount you need to say to make the transaction happen. Try saying a little bit more. You might be just asking them how their day is going. or might be making a comment about what's going on in the environment, like, man, it's busy in here. Just this little bit extra that you don't need to say to get the conversation through to the end of the transaction, just to push yourself beyond staying in that safe space. Next step might be introducing yourself, and you can do this anywhere. So you might be at the gas station and you're like, man, it's busy in here. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, I don't think I've met you yet. I'm Dan, by the way. I come to this gas station all the time. Oh, you're John. It's really easy to do. It sounds hard, but it's really easy to do. And like I've said in previous stuff, you know, you can just say, look, I don't think we've met yet. My name's Dan. And it's always true to say that if you haven't met them yet, right? So it's a safe little line that you can keep as a script to push yourself into that introduction level where you turn the person from a stranger into a known associate. Maybe the next step will be giving small, safe, generic compliments, just showing a little bit of interest. You know, it might be just something like, I like your shirt, or I noticed your tattoos, man. They look real badass. The thing that you know they're going to like to hear. Just show that you have noticed them, that you do prefer them to other people for some minor reason, to build up the courage to start showing people that you actually have feelings for them. From there, the next step might be actually showing feelings for people, telling people that you like them, telling people that they're the favorite person in your art class or whatever. Start showing people that you clearly like them and prefer them over others. Next level might be starting to be a bit more honest about your preferences. You might start low level, like talking about what your favorite type of music is and what kind of music you hate, through to high level, like where you stand on the Israel conflict or something like that. Right? You can build that up slowly. When you show preferences, it's quite a vulnerable intimacy building thing. You're showing people who you really are, where you really stand, what you want and don't want. And this is going to make or break your relationship with people, as it should. Next, we might move into the inviting stage. Now, you might start low level where you just start telling people, you know, man, I really enjoyed talking to you. I hope I see you again sometime. So you're just sort of showing interest and seeing them outside of wherever it is you met them or where you usually see them. And then, of course, the next level after that would be to be more specific in inviting people. You know, say like, oh, I'd love to see you again. I'm going to this gig on Saturday night. You should come with me. You know, like, oh, we're both into hiking. Let's go for a hike on Sunday. 
and taking them away from wherever you met them into your life quite directly, finally taking the risk of a proper rejection. Next level up might be holding strong on your more polarizing opinions and preferences. So allowing conflict to occur between you and other people because you disagree on something and allowing people to be polarized by you so they can see where you strongly stand and they're either going to love or hate you. Maybe the level after that would be showing direct interest to an intense level, whether it's sexual or deep love, being able to tell people like, man, I really like you or saying, I want you to come home with me tonight. And really taking that all out like, I'm really into you, so decide whether you like me or not, because this is going further if you do. After that, you might work on building more vulnerability, sharing your weaknesses, your secrets, the things you're ashamed of, demanding that they do the same in return so that it's reciprocal and balanced and safe, and starting to really just open up to people. And then from there, you're basically at the final level, and the next thing would be just boundary setting and long-term relationship planning. You know, so working with people on how you're going to interact with each other so that you survive for the long term. And I'll finish with a very important tip, and that is to exploit the recency bias. If you don't know what that is, we give more emotional weight to things that happen more recently than in the past, most of the time. So this is the reason that doctors might give kids a lollipop at the end of their visit. So their final memory of the doctor is this nice treat. And that memory will have more weight than the pain of getting the flu shot or whatever. So you can do this to yourself to make socializing something that you're able to maintain and sustain without kind of being overwhelmed by fear and discomfort. So first off, never push yourself too hard, just to some level of discomfort is enough. And secondly, make sure you end on a high note in some way, shape or form. It could be as simple as rewarding yourself with a treat after you've done some socializing, or it could be finishing your night talking to the safe person that you really like, your favorite friend. You know, one thing I used to do when I was, say, in a bar, I'd go talk to a girl, maybe I'd get shot down, and then I'd go back to my table of friends and have a laugh again. And I'd make sure that before I went home, that was the final thing I did. So my final memory of socializing is having a good, comfortable, safe time with my friends. Don't end on a low note. Let's say you just got a vicious rejection from somebody and you're really embarrassed and humiliated. Keep socializing until you have an enjoyable experience. Like Even if you just chat to the guy at the gas station on your way home and just have a pleasant little interaction with him, make sure that's your final memory and you'll be able to sustain motivation, which is a big problem for a lot of people working on their social confidences. They get barraged by all these uncomfortable social feelings and they just need a break from it because that's their final memory and it starts to feel like a chore. So I hope this is a really helpful uh, podcast. And I hope that I'm able to help you further should you need to. Get in touch, dan at brojo.org, and I can coach you on building social confidence. I've done it with hundreds of people. Pretty much everyone can do it. It's not some mystery. It's just a lot of skills that you need to build and behaviors you need to practice. And really, it is available to you if you want it bad enough. Thank you for watching or listening, and I'll see you next time.